a unique experience for me sharing this word because I think I think it might be the first time that I that I have both a very specific kind of teaching on my heart as well as the application for it um, and and it and it sort of comes out of the last couple of weeks of just interceding with with the guys that, that do the weekly intercession I really encourage you to to pop around um, you you'll you'll be inspired um, you'll you'll enjoy it you'll be challenged by it but so out of that I, I really I really felt that there's that there's like a key that that God wants to impart to us as a church and Paul writes about it in, in Philippians chapter 4 and um I'm going to share and talk about that specific scripture in, in a bit more detail later on. But it's, it's where he, t- he speaks about having learned to abound in all circumstances, whether, whether in need or whether in abundance. Um, he's learned the secret of how to overcome, irrespective of the hand that he's been dealt. And it's out of that context that he then goes on to say, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a, you know, it's one of those, it's a lovely scripture to quote. It's... It's so incredibly wide. Um, it's, I think it's always, always good to actually take a bit of time and just figure out, okay, what was he talking about when he said that? And what he was talking about is, is that he has learned the secret of, of winning irrespective of the hand that he had been dealt. And so that's, that's what I'm hoping to share with you. And there's a specific reason why I feel God, God wants us to have that key because I feel like prophetically we're, we're in a season where similar to, and it's another scripture that I'm, that I'm going to get to. I think this wasn't planned, but it seems like I'm giving you a bit of an overview before we go to the, in depth into, into the sermon. But, but the king Jehoash, when Elisha was, he was ill with this, the Bible calls it the, the sickness of which he would die. Gives us a clue that Elisha, as great a man of faith as he was, he also had other illnesses as well. Um, I find that particularly encouraging. Struggling with the cold for about four or five weeks myself now, but but so Elisha was sick, and and, and Jehoash um, had him come to him, and 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 we read the story about how Elisha got him to do a couple of prophetic acts, amongst them being to take arrows, and he told him to strike the ground. And he struck the ground three times, and then the Bible says that Elisha was angry. Because if he had struck the ground five times, he would have secured permanent and lasting victory over the nation of Aram, the the Arameans. But because he had only done it three times, he was going to defeat them three times, and eventually they would defeat Israel. And and, and that came to pass. And it's such a sad story of a a window of opportunity that that had slipped by. And all it would have taken was for this guy to just do that twice more. And, um, and, and, I, and I feel like God is, God is calling us to a place where he, where he can trust us. When he gives us a, an instruction or a command or a responsibility like that, that we would be trustworthy to not stop short of fulfilling the task or the, or the commission that, he, that he's given us. Amen. But in... In order, I think, to, to get that across, I, I, just, I just wanted to actually, I wanted to share a little bit just of, 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 of my testimony, and, um, and hopefully, by giving you a bit of background, you can also sort of get a, get a slightly bit of context for, for what I'm saying, but I, I grew up around here in, in Stadtraim, 
you know, after finishing school, I went to study in the, in the Western Cape, and I had this, this plan to, to really reinvent myself you know, as, a, as a social success, because um, I, kind of, I kind of felt being Afrikaans in the Eastern Cape, it's like just nobody notices that you're awesome. And, and uh, so I had, a, I had a chip on my shoulder, and, and I, was, I was happy to leave this place behind, go to, the, go to the Western Cape, and I wanted to completely reinvent myself. And, and, I, and I must say, it was amazing to go there and to find out that it's actually okay to be Afrikaans. I mean, the, the, the thought never crossed my mind while, <laughs> while I was growing up. But I can, I can still remember... I was driving with my brother over the Solaris Pass, and as we crested over, and you, could see, you can see the Atlantic Ocean on the left, all the mountains, and you can see this big city, Cape Town. And in that moment, I kind of, I kind of turned to God, and I said, you know what, I think I'm going to stick closer to you than I'd planned. This, this is a big, a big wide world, and, and, I, and I was a little bit intimidated. And, and God, was so, you know, God was so gracious and faithful. He, he pursued me, even though... You know, that agenda of mine to, to be a, a social animal didn't just disappear overnight. But, but God was faithful in pursuing me. So I ended up in, in Shofar in Stellenbosch, and I got baptized and spirit-filled and joined a life group and, and later on joined, joined the worship team. And uh, by the time I finished my, my degree, I, I wanted to, to spend a year working, working for the church, basically give a, a year of my life to God, and, you know, many young people have, like, a, a profound encounter with God, and I think culturally we condition to think that the only expression for somebody who's, who's had, like, a really profound encounter with God is to go into full-time ministry, and, um, and you know, that's, that's really not the case, but, but that internship year was such a, sort of, just a good platform for me to get a taste and to see, well, am I, am I, cut out for full-time ministry, and I, I did the year, and I can tell you that I struggled through it, and it was quite clear to me that I wasn't cut out for, for full-time ministry, and uh, <laughs> yeah, late, late in that year, around about August, September, I got a phone call from an from a engineering firm, they, they, were, they got my number from the university, and they, they were looking to employ a graduate with a view to sending them to East London. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. I, I don't even know what consulting engineering is, but I mentioned it to Pastor Sears, and he immediately said to me, oh, no, well, they've been wanting to plant a congregation in East London for quite some time now. And, and to me, at the time, it just seemed logical. Okay, well, if, if they offer me the job, then I'll take the job. I'd actually planned to go to Pretoria, um, find a job there. The Bulls were playing great rugby back then, and season tickets was definitely on the agenda as well. But, you know, that, that's where I envisioned myself, but, but Sias told me, no, they've been wanting to plant a church in East London for, for quite some time. I also, I didn't know, I mean, how difficult is it to find a job? I didn't know. I hear it's difficult. Yeah, these people phoned me up and they offered me a, you know, Essentially, they didn't offer me the job straight away. They offered me, you know, an interview. But so I decided I'll go for the interview, and if they offer me the job, then I'll take it. And then 
I'll take the commission to go to go to East London and and and, and I don't I was 24 years old. How do you start a church? You just take it step by step, I suppose. And and we had a, we had a group of six people, and we started having we started having cell group life group meetings. Um, that were more intercession meetings than I think life group as we as we know it nowadays. But that's that's sort of how how I got to East London. That was late 2005 early 2006, and, you know, in that time, Kuba was working over weekends, so Saturdays were, were the days when I could, like, now spend time with God, because I had to figure out or hear a message from God so that I could share it on the Sunday, because I worked from Monday to Friday, so what I would do is I would take my fishing rod and go to Kuleja or Tinsat, one of those spots on, on the East Coast, and I would go fishing, and, and my line would never be in the water for a long time until I would, I would feel, you know, this motivation or this unction to, to, to start praying. And I'd pray, you know, dear God, please give me a fish. And, <laughs> and after a while, you start thinking about all the teachings on prayer that you'd heard, and, and, and then I'd remember... No, you must actually pray with faith. So, so then it would become like, okay, dear God, I thank you for the fish that you're going to give me. And then you think about more of the teachings that you've heard, and, and it becomes, okay, dear God, I thank you for the two-kilogram bronze bream that you are going to give me in three, two, one. I'm being as specific as I can now. And, and, and then you think a little bit more, and you think, Maybe I'm going to speak to the fish. Fish, I've been giving dominion over you. I command you now to bite in the name of Jesus. And, and so, it's very spiritual, eh? <laughs> but but I, I noticed and I, and I learned that I had this unction or this motivation that was almost an, a limitless source of energy. So, so, what I, so what I would do is I would sit there and this thing inside of me is it's like a fire that's just burning. I need a fish to bite. I need a fish to bite. But instead of praying for a fish, I just prayed in the spirit. And I said, and I was praying, God, let your kingdom come. And, and God, is, God has done that throughout, you know, the history of mankind. He, he has no problem in using our selfish motivation and, and selfish energy to redeem it in order to birth things of heaven to bring it down to earth. Abraham was like that. Abraham had become very rich. He was a blessed man. But he had, he had, no, he had no son. And so, so we read the story in Genesis chapter 15. I've got the, the scripture there on the... So you can follow me. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said... Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So, God actually approaches Abraham, and, and he initiates this amazing conversation. It's the Abrahamic covenant. This is how it starts. God initiates it, and Abraham's like, God, I don't want to hear it. What? I'm, I'm sitting here and I've got no child. Please don't talk to me about other stuff until this is sorted. 
and then, and then God actually says, this one shall not be your heir, referring to, to his servant, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside, and he said, look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you're able to, and number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So Abraham was kind of similar to me, sitting on the rock, you know, waiting for a fish to bite. He had like a, a bee in his bonnet. And, and, and the thing is, our heart's desires are wrapped up in the kingdom of heaven. Abraham had this intense desire for a son, but he was, he was relatively short-sighted in comparison with God because Abraham wanted a son so that his estate, his wealth that he'd acquired, wouldn't just lapse to somebody who's not even related and his, and his legacy would kind of just fizzle out. That's why he was desperate to have a son. God had a desire for Abraham to have a son as well, but God's desire was he wanted a, Nathan, a nation a Nathan, a nation to be birthed through which the scriptures would be preserved for thousands of years and through which the Messiah would come to earth. So he gave Abraham a son. Um, It's just that God's dream was so much bigger than what Abraham could ever dream. And and we read about it in, in the New Testament, how God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we could even think to ask. So if you forget everything that I say today, I want you to please remember this. Our heart's desires are, are wrapped up in the kingdom of heaven. So many of us have like a bee in our bonnet. As we sit here, I, I just believe that it's a, it, it's, it's, it seems to be just a, a common thread you know, that, that I'm picking up. There are things that are bugging you. And, and, and often it's so, it's so easy for us to, to look at those things and, and just feel... Well, it doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel legitimate enough for me to actually bring it to God. So it just sits there and it bugs you all the time. Like, like, I've, got a, like I've had a, a cold or a flu for the last five, six weeks. And everything in me is screaming 24-7, man was not made to be sick. I am meant to be healthy. This is God's promise, yes, and, and able to run. <laughs> This is God's promise to me and my family. This is our inheritance. And, and it's so easy when you're in that place to, to start to think, well, okay, maybe God is just, maybe this is just God's way of teaching me humility or character or what, you know, or whatever. But, and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not here to try and sort of put one camp, theological camp against another theological camp. What I'm, what I'm here to say is that if you do that, you, you might move to a place where there's a limitless source of energy that you could fuel off of and pray the, the purposes of God into being that you are not utilizing. So for some of us, you know, the bee in our bonnet is, like, like me, health. I know that it's my birthright to be healthy. And even if I get a cold, normally it's like three days, six weeks is just diabolical. And, you know, another, another example out of Scripture is, is Jacob who wrestled with God. And, and, he, and he's credited for, you know, this act of extreme 
valor and endurance. He wrestled with God, and he wouldn't let him go, and, and it went all through the night until daybreak. And if you look at the story and the circumstances behind it, Jacob had just heard that Esau, whom he had cheated out of his birthright, was um, less than a day's travel away coming towards him, and he was convinced that Esau was going to kill him the next day. So, so in Jacob's mind, he was in a life or death struggle with this angel of God, and he, that's why he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So it's... The amazing thing is that, yes, he does get credited with this amazing act of, um, of endurance. But if you look at the circumstances, I actually think, I think most, of, most of you guys would have managed it as well. Because, you know, we're we, we wired for survival. If you're convinced that somebody's going to kill you next day, but this guy's got the solution, he, he, can, he can bless you and, and set you free, then you're not going to let go. So... I'm trying to sort of, uh, you know, shift, our, shift the way that we think about the challenges that we face, the things that sort of grate on us. Um, and I want you to think a little bit, what, you know, what is, what is the bee in your bonnet? What, 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 are the, what, are, what are the things or what is the thing that is sort of just like buzzing inside of you with like an endless energy and it doesn't seem to go away? Just think about it. We're going to talk more about it a bit later. Um, but having said all of that, I want, I want you to, to make no mistake. The Bible does say, count it all joy when we fall into various trials. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell you that you know, when, when you are in a difficult situation, when you're in a trial, um, that you should rage against it. That, that, that's not what I'm. That's not what, I, what I'm saying. Um, have we got the slide on there? Count it all joy, because the purpose of a test is for you to pass it, and the purpose of a trial is for you to overcome it. Those are things that very most often the enemy brings against us, and God uses it to turn His intentions around. What the inten- enemy intends for harm, God uses for our good. Is, is everybody everybody still with me? So, so I'm wanting to get now to to that that key that I was talking about. I'm, I'm going to read from Philippians chapter four, verse twelve and thirteen. So this is Paul writing. This is from the Passion Translation, and it, it says it so beautifully. He says, "I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance." For I am trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. So, so just have a look at what he says. I am trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. So Paul, Paul is saying here to the Philippians, I've, I've got the key. I know what it is. I know what it takes to overcome and win, irrespective of the hand that I've been dealt. The hand that I've been dealt doesn't matter. And I don't know about you, I've, I've sometimes looked around me and, and you think, I don't get it. I don't understand why, why I'm so fortunate when I look at other people around me. They, they get 
dealt the harshest hands, the most unbelievably difficult hands, you know, if you excuse the, the poker speak, you know how just I've often sort of just tried to get my head around it. Ask, you know, ask, asking God, how does this work? And, and yes, God is merciful to, and gracious to whom who He will be merciful and gracious. But I also want to just challenge you with with the thought that ultimately the hand that you get dealt doesn't have that much to do with whether or not you overcome. If you, can, if you can learn the secret that Paul had learned, the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger, whether in abundance or in lack, all of a sudden the hand that you dealt is taken out of the equation. There's something else that actually ensures the victory. And uh, yeah, So for some of us, the bee in our bonnet is actually the hand that we've been dealt, whether whether it's sort of in a micro sense or, or in a macro sense, you know, whether, whether it's, it's, a, it's a short-term scenario where you've been dealt a hand and it just doesn't sit right with you. It's like this endless buzzing, this fire that's burning you, but you just don't know how to, how to put it to, you know, to some constructive use. And, uh, and the good news that I want to share with you today is that, is that God loves taking your and my weak hand and he loves defeating the enemy with it because he gets the glory that way. So before I go any deeper or further, um, I've organized a little, a little video clip for us. I, I just love the picture of, did you see in the beginning how the dealer dealt from the bottom of the deck to, to the guy called Angel? He's no angel. And, uh, and how, and I'm, Mel Gibson's character is called Maverick. He sees this game is completely rigged. And then he, he gets his adversary to deal him the card that ensures that he wins. That's God's heart for you. The devil likes us to think that he's the one that deals us our hands. And God sometimes lets him deal the hands. But God is in the business of actually letting him deal the hand that defeats him. So I want you to receive that as, as a word for, for your life. The things that, that, you, that you're struggling with, those hands that you've been dealt that s- sit with you and you know this is rigged, it's fine. If, if, if you can come to the place where you understand that, that God, loves, God loves turning the tables on the enemy like that. Because that way he gets the glory. And we, I think we have, we have no idea really how passionate God is about his glory. It's, it's fascinating for me when, when I read in John chapter 17 how, how Jesus, Jesus is praying and he's speaking to his father. And, and in verse 5 he says, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And, and it, if, if you could go and read that passage, it, I get the sense that it seems to be the only thing about heaven that Jesus missed while he was on earth was, was the glory that he had with the Father in, in heaven. And, and it's, it's really a, I mean, it's, it's a teaching and a sermon series on its own. It's, a, it's, a, it's an abstract concept, and, and, I, and I can't claim to even you know, understand enough to, 
you know, to, to be able to present that teaching or that, or that series. But know this, that God is passionate about His glory, and the way that He gets glorified is when the situation or the scenario is rigged to such a sense that it could only have been Him, therefore all the glory goes to Him. If you think about Gideon and his, and his army of, I think they were 30,000, but it eventually got reduced down to 300. In Judges chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into, into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. His glory seems to be the only aspect, as I was saying, that, that Jesus missed while he was, while he was on earth. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that I... I'm 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 keen to to study further. I don't I don't have the answers, but but the good news <laughs> about the glory of God is that God gets the glory when our weak hands are entrusted to Him, so that He can use the very hand that the enemy tries to deal us for our harm to actually regain ground from the kingdom of darkness. Amen. So God wants to teach us the secret of overcoming every trial, overcoming despite whatever hand we've been dealt. And, and, and I believe the key to that is actually just to, just to rest in that knowledge, to believe that. Because if, as soon as we believe that the hand that I've been dealt determines whether or not I can or can't win, we've, we've embraced a disempowering belief. But if, if we understand the hand that I've been dealt is pretty much irrelevant because God loves to turn things around. Amen. So, what is the bee in your bonnet? I want to challenge you because I want to tell you to, to saddle it up and use it, ride it, because it's an endless source of energy for you, for you to pray. Why is everybody laughing? <laughs> to, to pray and to cry out. You know, if you think about Abraham, he was in his desperation. He was crying out to God. But instead of every night looking at the empty cot in the empty baby room and feeling dismayed and crying out in faithless despair, know and understand that, God, I know that you are using this so that I can actually birth so much more than just what I've got in my heart and my mind into the earth. That's why it might take a bit longer. But I know that all of my heart's desires are wrapped up in your kingdom, God. So let your kingdom come. And if it's going to take a little bit longer, that's fine. I'll keep, I'll keep praying. I'll keep pressing in because the energy is there. As long as I don't decide to back it in and sulk about it. And, and I'm really preaching to myself. I don't do drama unless I have a cold or a flu. And, so, and as I was saying in, in the beginning, it's... It's sort of a, a really a two-part message because I, I wanted to speak about about this key and 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 this um, you know ability that we need to unlock to to tap into the bees in our bonnet so that we can make ourselves then available to out of that energy to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Understanding that all of our hearts' desires are wrapped up in His kingdom, and when we do that. He can birth the purposes of heaven 
And, and Lelani was sharing last week at intercession just how she saw how, you know, what is up in the heavenly realms and what is, you know, in God's heart to, to release onto the earth is so, is so big and the channel is so small that it, it, it just takes a lot of energy actually to, you know, to push it through. And uh, in Matthew 11 verse 12, Jesus actually said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And, and it, just, it just speaks about the, it takes, a bit of, it takes a bit of elbow grease, actually, to, to get the purposes of God from heaven down, down to earth. And, and the question, the challenge really is today, to each one of us, am, am I going to be willing to actually say, okay, yes, God, you can, you can use me. Just like, you know, Mary, when the angel visited her and told her, Mary, I've got some news for you. Um, you, are, you are going to be pregnant and it's going to ruin your entire life because you're going to be an outcast. I know that you're not married, but God kind of needs you and your, your body, your space, in order to birth, the, you know, the Messiah, the purposes of heaven onto earth. It's going to be an inconvenience, Mary. But are you willing? And she said, yes. I'm willing. I'm so blessed to have been given this honor. And, and so in, in the same way, the challenge is, are we, are we willing to actually be inconvenienced a little bit, but understand that we're not just praying for the thing that we identify as the bee in our bonnet. We actually get to cry out in the spirit and birth the very purposes in the heart of God in our workplace, in our school, in our city, where, you know, where, where, wherever we go. In, uh, in closing, I just want to read from Second Kings, chapter 13, verse 14 to 19. It's the story that, that I just paraphrased a little bit earlier. But Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face. And said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to, said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And so he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. So he opened the east window. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And, you know, un un unfortunately the, the Bible doesn't tell us what was going on in the, in, the king's, in the king's head or in his mind? You know, did he have a steam bath waiting for him? Did a new series just drop on Netflix? You know, what was he rushing to? Why, why couldn't he just, like, hit the ground three more times? It's literally two seconds that, that he needed. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't have, have that information, but, but we, we, just have the, we just have the challenge that, there are these windows of opportunity that, that God would hold before us. And, he, and he's looking for a church that is going to be faithful in 
finishing what needed to be finished in, in that window. And, and, I'm, and I'm excited about the fact that, you know, if, if I'm honest, I, I, don't, I don't see myself as the type of person that, that just out of my own sort of sense of responsibility is always going to be able to do that. I'm kind of easily distracted, and uh, I like to be out and about. Sometimes, sometimes I have like the TV and the music on, and I just I can be all over the place a little bit. Um, and I'm just so encouraged by the fact that God is God is fine with us actually tapping into those bees in our bonnet, as I kind of have been describing it all evening. And using that energy to actually do that, and 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 in doing that, I've just learned that you can you can do it. It doesn't have to be in your nature necessarily. It's God loves to, like I said, take what the enemy intends for destruction and harm and turn it around. So there's a so there's there's a key for us, and a call. The call is to is to step up through the plate and say, yes, God, I will, I'll take responsibility. I will, I will be that person that when, when you present me with a window of opportunity to gain ground for the kingdom of heaven, that I will actually finish the task. I will pull it all the way through, and there's the key.